Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit Church? It's great to see you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. My name is Mel Massengale. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit, and I just want to say thanks for being here and worshiping with us. We're going to have a great day today. I hope that God's blessed you already. Uh, If you're here in the room with us, we appreciate it. If you're a guest, please make yourself at home. If you're watching online, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, we're so grateful that you've taken time out of your day to allow us to be part of it. We pray that God blesses you as you uh, worship with us today. Uh, Today we're doing um, a one-off. Normally we do series uh, where we will go through some ideas together, some passages of Scripture And uh, today we just wanted to give you an update about some vision, some things that are going on, and some things that are coming up, and just kind of walk you through that. Um, The the vision of our church here at Summit is to see every life made different. And and really our goal is to see people transformed no matter who they are, no matter what their church background is, uh, no matter what their ethnicity, gender, any of those kind of things, we want to see every person transformed by the power of God for the glory of God. And, and that means here in Indiana and around the world. That's why we send um, missions teams all over the globe. That's why we send money. That's why we partner with people locally uh, because we want to see every life made different, not just the people that walk through the doors of our church. And, and so we partner with ministries and organizations and all kinds of things because that's what our vision is about. So we filter almost every decision we make through this vision of seeing every life made different, every life transformed for his glory. And so I want to read a passage of scripture to you. And if you've been around church, uh, this scripture might be familiar to it or a portion of it. Uh, but, but it's in Jeremiah 29. And I want to just give you a little context. In the book of Jeremiah, the nation of Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And uh, the, as, as the Babylonians would, this is common practice, they would come in and they would take Many of the residents, the wealthiest, the smartest, the best looking, literally they would take them and they would assimilate them into Babylonian culture. So they would basically wipe out your culture and just assimilate it into uh, the dominant culture. And this is a way of, of squashing enemies, all kinds of stuff. And so this is what would ha- what happened. The Israelites had been taken into captivity. They were in exile. There were Israelites literally all over the world at this point. And, uh, and, and Jerusalem was in ruins, um, the, the, the temple, the, the walls. I mean, all this stuff was in ruins. The people, their families had been split up, um, and just their lives were in disarray. They were in heartache. And, and, and in Jeremiah 28, this prophet named Hananiah, he steps up and he says, guys, basically this is what he says, guys, I've got good news, good news. God says in two years, he's going to break the yoke of the Babylonians. Basically, God's going to end the Babylonian uh, rule in two years. And if you are struggling, if you're having a bad time, and somebody says, hey, this is when the bad time's going to end, it makes you feel a little better. Like, okay, we can suck it up. We can get through that. We can, we can make it through this difficulty as long as, as long as that's when it is. So he, he says two years, and God's going to end this. People are like, great, we can, we can do that. We can sign up for that. And then Jeremiah comes back, and Jeremiah is like, eh, I don't know if that's really what God said to Hananiah. I'm not really sure that that's what the Lord said. So he calls him out, and then in Jeremiah 29, I'm going to start in verse 4, he says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says, build homes and plan to stay. 
plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. He says, multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, and for its welfare will determine your welfare. So, so, so this is what God says. He said, you heard the prophet say it's going to be two years. And God says, nah, it's going to be longer. And I don't know if you're following what he says. He says, the garden you were thinking about planting, don't hold off. Go ahead and plant the garden. Eat, it, eat its produce. You, you know, you were thinking about having kids. Maybe you're holding off. Go ahead and have kids. In fact, when, when your kid gets old enough, find a spouse for your kids so that they can have kids. Because you're going to have grandkids in captivity. Doesn't that just bless you? <laughs> the Lord's like, hey, all this junk you're enduring, get ready. It's going to take longer, is what he's saying. Just settle in. This is going to take longer than you think. That is not what we want to hear from God whenever we're dealing with something difficult, is it? We don't want to hear God say, it's going to take longer before this is over with. Just hunker down and get ready. In fact, he doesn't say hunker down, does he? He, he says, live your life. Move forward. Understand that, that this is going to take a while. This is what it goes on to say in verse 8. God says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Then he says in verse 10, this is what the Lord says to you. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. I'm bad at math, but I'm still relatively certain 70 is more than two, right? God says, not only is it not going to be two years, it's going to be 70 years you're going to be in captivity. But then I will come for you and do all the things that I've promised, and I will bring you home again. And this is a verse that a lot of people know. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So it sounds discouraging because God goes, no, 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 you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So just build your gardens. You get married. Let your kids get married. Have grandkids because you're going to be here a while. And he says, but I know the plans I have for you. And this is what he's saying. He's basically saying, be careful who you listen to. Because if you listen to Hannah and I, you're going to have false hope. But if you listen to me, yeah, it's going to take a little longer. But I know the plans I have for you. And my plans in 70 years in captivity is still better than the plans that he has or the plans that you have. So if you'll just trust me, yes, the captivity is going to last longer, but it's going to be better for you. Can you trust me in this waiting period? Can you trust me in your captivity? Can you trust me in your exile? Because we usually use this verse out of context. We usually use it in a way that we ha we're having a bad day and we go, but you know what? God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, give you a future and a hope. Woo! And we should take comfort in that. But we don't look at it in context and go, but it may not be when I want it. It may take 70 years instead of two years. Maybe his plan is going to take a lot longer. So maybe I've got to endure some captivity and some isolation and some, does that make sense? 
But that's not even really where I wanted to focus on. I want to bring your attention back to verse 6, where he says, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. You have to believe at this point when they're hearing, wait, we're going to have grandchildren here? Like they must have been feeling like, oh gosh, this is not going to be good. But I love this part. He says at the end of verse 6, multiply and do not dwindle away. Another way that he says it in another translation is multiply and do not decrease. And this word multiply is a word I love. I don't know why we haven't talked about it before. Um, but the word multiply is this Hebrew word. It's rabah. And it means to make great or to expand or to become many. And what it's really saying is, hey, when you're in exile, when you're in captivity, we've got a propensity to shrink back. We've got a propensity to go, no, we've got to guard what we have. We've got to protect. We've got to shield. And what God says is, no, when you're in captivity, that's the time for you to multiply. That's the time for you to expand. That's the time for you to move forward. You don't shrink back when you're in captivity. We move forward. We take ground as believers in Jesus Christ. We move forward in him. And so today, maybe you feel like, man, this COVID thing that's going on, man, we just shrink back, we hold on, we protect what we have. And I think that is counter to what Scripture says. Scripture makes it clear we trust God, but what God's saying here is that we multiply, we move forward, we rabah. We don't shrink back against resistance. We move forward in his name to see him work. It just feels manly, doesn't it? Like, oh, everybody else is shrinking. No, let's move. Let's go. Let's move forward. We got this, right? I just love it. And I feel like this is the heart of God for us as a people and for, for us as individuals. Uh, it's to move forward, to bring glory to God by multiplying. This word multiply here is the same word that was used in the, in the book of Genesis where he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He, he's not saying, and not to be crude, but I want you to hear this. He's not just saying, have sex and have kids. What he's saying is, take dominion, move forward, become great. That's what he is asking us to do, not for ourselves, but for him, for his glory. That's the invitation. So he says, multiply, don't dwindle away while you're in captivity. Do not decrease, move forward. Then in verse 7, he says this, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. Did you catch that? Its welfare, the welfare of the city that you've been sent to, its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what so many of us do. So many of us focus on our welfare. What's good for me, what's right for me. And we neglect the welfare of those around us. We neglect the welfare of the city around us. And what God has clearly told the nation of Israel is, hey, you're going into captivity, that if all you do is focus on yourself and survival, you're gonna be in trouble. What you need to do is focus on the welfare of the city around you, even though the city around you is not pro-Israel, is not pro-God. You go in there and you support them and you bless them. And as they do well, you will do well. For its welfare determines your welfare. What if we as believers believed this? What if we decided, hey, the welfare of my school determines my welfare. The welfare of my job determines my welfare. The, the welfare of my community determines my welfare instead of the other way around. What if we really believe this? We've talked about this word in the Hebrew a lot, but the word welfare as it's translated here, or peace, is the word shalom. And it's a word that we literally translate as peace, but I love it because it doesn't just mean peace, it means completeness or wholeness or fullness or lacking nothing. I, I can equate it to, um, 
<laughs> Have you ever, some of you that are parents, you understand this, you've got kids and you're working a job and uh, you're doing all the stuff that grown-ups have to do. You're taking care of the house and paying bills and all those things. And there are very few moments where you feel like everything is taken care of, right? Have you had that moment at the end of the day, maybe the kids are in bed and you finished all your tasks for the day and you can sit on the couch and just go, no, okay, maybe you haven't. I've done that a couple times. It feels great to just be able to go, okay, everything's done. I don't have any spinning plates left. And this is what God is talking about. That, that when we take care of the spinning plates in our community, God will take care of ours. When we prioritize our community and the welfare of our community, God takes care of our welfare. And it gives us a moment where we can go, there's nothing left lacking. Everything is complete. Everything is whole as it should be. That's what God does. As a church, this is something we have done for a long time, even before I came. And when I came here in 2014, we prioritized partnering with other churches, partnering with our community, looking out for the needs of our community as best we could. And I I have people, I have pastors from other churches who will talk to me routinely and say, what have you guys done? You guys have seen a lot of growth. You know, what's the formula? What's the magic bullet? Whatever it is. And I've just told them, like, we work really hard. We love God really well. We try to treat people well. That's what we do. Like, there's no magic formula. But one of the things I do tell pastors often is um, it's important for churches to be outwardly focused. And so for us as a church, we prioritize our community. We prioritize reaching out. We prioritize blessing. And even though we didn't verbalize it this way, we understand that our our welfare is dependent on the welfare of our community. It doesn't matter if we're successful if our community is circling the drain. We want to bless the community, help our community. And it's not just the community in general, but we want to bless churches and pastors and help them because we feel like our job is not to advance our church, but the church. It's not our kingdom, but the kingdom. So we want to make sure the kingdom is healthy and doing well. So... we had a board meeting this last Monday night. I met with our, our board and we were talking and one of our board members who's responsible for um, finances and looking through that and keeping track of that kind of stuff, he said, hey, I just want to let you guys know. And we knew our, our finances were strong. We were looking good. And he said, hey, I just wanted to update you just to give you frame of reference. And he said, um, this year, as of last week, he said, uh, we are currently up 17% on our giving than we were the same time period in 2019. (laughs) Which is incredible, because we had 12 weeks where we didn't meet in person for church, okay? Um, And and just to put this in frame of reference, we had about 1,500 people coming to church here before COVID-19, before the quarantine, and we've got about half of that attending on a weekend now. And our giving is still up 17%. Now, there's no way to explain that other than God is good. There's no strategy I could have as the leader to make that happen. But do you know what's happened? We as a church, even during quarantine, we were looking out for the welfare of our community. If we would hear about pastors who maybe their churches were in a bad position and they weren't able to take a paycheck, we would write a check to that pastor, make sure the pastor knew, this is for you, this is not for your church. We wanna take care of you, pastor. We did that multiple times. 
There were times we heard of churches that they weren't making their budget because they didn't do online giving and we were able to just write a check and say, hey, this will take care of a week of your budget for you. Did it solve their problems? No, but what happened is we, even in some of our need, because we didn't know what was gonna happen at first, we said, man, we're gonna bless, we're gonna help, we're gonna default to looking out for the welfare of others because we believe that God is good and he's gonna take care of us when we do what we feel like God's called us to do. And do you know what happened? We got 17% up from where we were last year. It doesn't make sense. But I understand this principle that when we take care of the welfare of our community, God will take care of our welfare. This is true in your life as well. If you look out for the needs of others, God will look out for you. So, so what does this have to do with our vision? Well, let me, uh, let me start to unpack that a little bit. Um, around this time last year, I talked to the church about, um, we did a series called Next. And if you want to go a little deeper with some of the stuff we're talking about, um, then you can go back to that series and refer to it if you'd like. Um, but we did a series called Next, and I just unpacked this vision that God has given us to start a location in Blairsville. And uh, we've been given little updates along the way, so maybe you've heard that or seen. But really for us, we just felt like God is calling us to go start a church in Blairsville. And I've had people say, why would you go to Blairsville? And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, we already have a good group of people from Blairsville, Salzburg, um, you know, all that area that are coming up here anyway. So it makes sense for us logically to start a church there. Uh, practically speaking, um, the median income for people in Blairsville is, is about half of the median state income. So there's, a, there's an issue there financially, that there is some poverty there that, that creates need. Uh, seven, uh, 16% of children, 18 or under, live in poverty. And so there's opportunities for us to step into and speak into and help these situations. Um, just in a, in a logistical perspective, most church planners would say you don't go to towns like Blairsville to go plant a church. It doesn't make logical sense. Where you go is areas that are growing and thriving and have money. You don't go to small towns that are plateaued in growth or shrinking that don't have high revenue streams, right? Because you want big churches. You want wealthy churches. And so if somebody was going to tell me where we should start a church, they'd say go to Pittsburgh, go to Cranberry, go to wherever, Go start a church there because that's where money is. That's where people are. So for us, it doesn't make logical sense, but this is what I know. When I see the people that we have in our church from Blairsville, uh, I see the need. Those are real people. There are thousands of people in Blairsville that desperately need Jesus Christ. And there are good churches in Blairsville. There are good pastors in Blairsville. But there's not enough. There's still more need than what they can handle on their own. So we're not trying to replace pastors and churches. We're trying to come alongside them and, and and see what God will do. For us, when we came to Indiana, um, we began seeing people get saved, and people would encounter God here. They would encounter Jesus uh, like they never had before, and they would say, Mel, I love you, and I love this church, but I really want to be in a church with my family, and my family goes too. And I would say, go to church with your family. Go bless them. Mel, I really want to sing hymns, and we don't sing hymns here. Great. Here's a number of churches in our community that sing hymns. Mel, I really miss pipe organs. Great. There's some good churches in our community that love pipe organs. We're not one of them, okay? So what happened is people would get saved here, they'd experience God here, God would do something in their lives, and then they would go back to another church, which is great. 
I don't have a problem with that because it's not about how big can our church be. It's about how big can heaven be? How many people can we get in the kingdom of God? And so when we have that kind of mindset, it makes it easier for us. And so when we go to Blairsville, I firmly believe there are going to be people who encounter Jesus in one of our services and they're going to filter in some of the other churches. They're going to experience God and then they're going to take that with them and God's going to bless the church in Blairsville, not just our church in Blairsville. So I see a need. I see God is wanting to work, and the reality is if, if we could have a church of 2,000 in a city of a million, or we could have 400 in a city of 4,000, give me the 400 in a city of 4,000 every day of the week because they're gonna have greater cultural impact in their community than that church of 2,000 in a city of a million will. You're gonna hear us use terms like multi-site. Multi-site is just, it is what it sounds like. Uh, what that means is it's one church in multiple locations. Um, it means we share leadership, vision, budgets, all those things. For us as a church, when you go to another one of our locations, it's gonna feel like Summit Church. You're gonna see similar carpet and flooring, colors, all those kind of things. Um, nobody would think twice about us adding another service. So if I just added another service, people would be like, okay, cool. Um, so think about it this way. We're adding another service, Except if you want to go to it, it's in Blairsville. <laughs> it's another service, just at a different location. It's still us, all those kind of things. So think about it that way. But when you hear the term multi-site, that's really what we're talking about. Um, I've had people ask me, why would anybody go to a church like that or want to go to a church like that? There's a study that came out a few years ago done by a, a notable, uh, a reputable Christian research firm. And they, they interviewed over 3,000 regular church attenders. And they asked them the question, what does your ideal church look like? And they said, basically, we want great preaching. We want great worship. We want great kids ministry. We want great youth ministry. We want a church that's active in missions and outreach. Uh, we want small groups. We want vibrant women's ministry. They're naming all these things. Does that sound familiar, by the way? It's like, okay. But not to be condescending, most small churches can't do all that stuff just because they don't have the resources. They don't have the people to do it. They just can't pull off doing all those things at a really high level. So what they're saying is we want the stuff of a big church. That's what we want. And then they followed the question up and they said, how big is your ideal church? And the average answer was 200. Most people said, I want the intimacy of a small church, but I want the excellence of a big church. And what we're doing allows us to do both. It allows us to have a smaller venue, a smaller setting, more intimacy, with still having the budget and the resources and the excellence of a large church. You're still gonna be experiencing Summit Kids the way we do here, just in a smaller environment. You're still gonna be experiencing Summit Youth. You're still gonna have Summit Women, all these things, but it's gonna be a smaller, more intimate environment. Um, one of the reasons this makes a lot of sense for us to do is that statistically, multi-site churches, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands of multi-site churches across the United States today. Um, statistically, they reach and baptize more people than single-site churches do. And part of the reason for that is because some of you know this, you already drive here 20, 30 minutes to get to church. I know some people that drive 45 to 50 minutes to get to church here, which is a little crazy to me, but I'm glad you're here. Um, and you know this, that when you drive a long distance, it's harder to be involved. It's harder to connect in relationship to people that are close to you. Here's the other thing. If you live someplace like, um, 
like Punxsutawney or, um, or Catanning or Ford City or something like that, if you live off like that, Ebensburg, and you invite somebody to come to church, they go, man, I'm looking for a church. Oh, I've got a great church. You need to come to church with me. Oh, really? What's it called? Summit Church. Where's it at? Indiana. They go, oh, Indiana. You drive all that way to go to church? Yeah, it's great. You should come. I don't know. That's a standard response. That's what people say. Because people don't want to drive that far. So what if we took the church to them? What if, what if we were in their backyard, instead of driving 30 minutes, they drove five minutes, and they were able to experience God? We took away that objection for somebody. See, what's gonna happen is um, there are gonna be people who normally would not drive 30 minutes to get to church here, but they're gonna drive five minutes when you invite them. They're gonna show up, they're gonna experience God. Holy Spirit's gonna ambush them, and they're gonna have an experience with God like never before. Their lives are gonna be transformed when that happens. Same thing is true with our dream team. There are people in our church that love our church, but it's hard for them to serve because they live 40 minutes away. So what happens if we're 10 minutes away? Well, it makes it easier for them to serve. It makes it easier for them to get involved, build in relationships, all those kind of things. So what we see in multi-site churches is the, the rate of uh, activity among volunteers goes up because uh, people are able to serve easier. Another factor is just the financial side. When we built this kid in youth building back in 2015 is when we started construction on it, uh, 2016, I guess. When we started that, we actually looked at the possibility of building another auditorium. So what if we built an auditorium and we turned this space into kids and youth space? So we looked at the options for that. It was going to cost us over $8 million to build a 1,300-seat auditorium. $8 million is a lot of money. So when we heard that number, I told our, our board at the time, I said, um, we can plant lots of churches for $8 million. And I said, and I'm not interested in having $8 million worth of debt. No, thank you. Uh, let's look at some other options. And this was one of the other options, starting some other churches. Because we can start a location for a fraction of the cost of building a bigger auditorium here to try to draw more people. Um, like I said earlier, what you would see here is what you will see at a location in Blairsville, for instance. The only difference is uh, that the teaching will be on video instead of live. Now, before you freak out, let me help you with something. I stand here every week preaching, and I look around this room, and a good portion of the people in this room don't even look at me when I'm preaching anyway. You're looking at that screen or that screen. You're looking past me already. So here's the thing. If you're already watching the screen, the only difference is gonna be I'm not in the lobby to shake your hand before or after service. That's the biggest difference. Thinking back to quarantine, I'm the pastor of this church and I did not love worshiping online. Okay, just be honest. Was it, was it okay? Yeah, it's okay. It's a facsimile. It is not the same as being in the room. What being in the room is, it's not even about me preaching to you in the room. Being in the room is about... Um, this was one of my big deals in quarantine. I hated worshiping in quarantine because I could hear myself sing. <laughs> was there anybody else like that? That you're like, yeah, I'm not actually gonna sing out loud because I can hear me when I'm by myself in my apartment or in my house, right? No, thank you. I wanna be in the room where I can worship with other believers and my, my voice can be drowned out and I can see people and feel the spirit. Like I wanna feel that, right? I want to be in the room so that I can talk to my friends after the service and engage with them and we can talk or whatever it might be. That's what makes the in-person experience unique and special. It's, it's not that I happen to be on stage. So I would encourage you to give that a chance before you dismiss it out of hand. Because again, there are thousands of churches who use this as a strategy 
uh, for their churches. Um, there's a number of reasons why. I'm not going to get into all that today, too. So, um, and we're not always going to be video teaching. We will wean off of that to where it's live teaching all the time at some point down the road. So give us some grace when it comes to that. Uh, where's this going to be? If you haven't been through Blairsville, uh, if you go south on Walnut from 22, you get to Market Street. Uh, there's a Sheets there on the corner. And if you look just across the street from Sheets, we've got two location, two buildings right next door to each other. It's one building now. It's at 34 or 40 East Market Street. And there's a big sign on the front that says, Future Home of Summit Church. This is where our location is in Blairsville. Um, one of the cool things about that location is 4,000 cars a day drive by here. So 4,000 cars a day drive by this physical location. 8,000 cars a day drive through the intersection at Market and Walnut every single day in Blairsville. This is one of the reasons, I think, that if we go and do this right, uh, the church in Blairsville might blow up. It might explode. Because I really do feel like we're going to be drawing people from Derry, from uh, maybe as far as like Ligonier, uh, I think Greens, uh, Greensburg, um, uh, all, you know, all down there. I think people are looking for churches like this. So I feel like it's going to grow quicker than what we imagine. Let's show some of the pictures. Let's jump into that real quick. And here it is. So this is an exterior elevation. This is the front view of the street. It's not gonna look exactly like this. Uh, it's, we've had some changes since then. You'll see in a minute, the bank building is very, um, it, it looks like a fortress. It's a, it's a citadel. And so it was hard to try to make these buildings match. We're gonna tie in some brick from this building to, to make them look like they're supposed to go together, some color. Uh, the front door is not gonna be here. It's actually gonna be here instead. So we'll have double doors here. And the uh, color on the trim is gonna be light gray. So all the colors you see here are colors you're going to see in Blairsville. So interior colors, carpet, all this kind of stuff, it's going to feel like it when you get there. So this is what the exterior is going to look like. Go ahead and throw up the floor plan. So let me zoom in here. Here's the floor plan. Um, this is Market Street here. So this is the, the, front, the front of the building facing Market. This is Iron Alley here. Um, so... Uh, this was a bank building before when we, we bought this, and it was literally looked like a bank on the inside when we bought it. And then this was the Cavalancia building. Uh, Jeff Cavalancia owned this. If uh, you need orthodontic work done, go to Cavalancia Orthodontics. He worked with us on this building. I like me some Jeff Cavalancia. So, uh, <laughs> so this building was orthodontics on the front, a couple offices here, a podiatrist in the back. This was a, just an a old bank building. So we came in and gutted this whole side. Open it up, and we'll have main doors here coming in off the street. There'll be a ramp here, steps here coming up into the lobby. Um, when you get up to the steps on the left, you're going to have an info center here. You've got restrooms here. Um, you'll have the kids' check-in back here, so the check-in station here. We'll have a Summit Kids sign up here. And then this is the entrances for the auditorium here and here. So when you walk in the door as a guest, you're going to be able to see everything you would need to see immediately. Where do I take my kids? There. I need to use a restroom here. All the stuff is going to be visible as you walk in the door. So the lobby was not going to be real big. It's not going to be as big as ours, but it's smaller scale. We don't need it to be as big as ours. One thing that I will show you is as big as something we've got here is the women's restroom. Ladies, count them up. One, two, three, four, five toilets for the ladies in the lobby. Just saying, we might not get any of the rest of it right, but we got plenty of seating there. So <laughs> I'll bring you back this way. So you come back, uh, come back into the kids' wing. 
Uh, we've got double glass doors here. Uh, kids check in will be here. So you'll get your kids checked in, get their stickers. They'll head back this way. Um, we've got a nursing mom's room here. So we'll be able to get a th three glider rockers in here with a TV up. So again, moms, you'll be able to sit in there with your kids if you need to. Uh, we've got a toddler and pre-K rooms here. Once you get past the security entrance, uh, back here, we've got a nursery, a resource room, two elementary classrooms, and then a large classroom that will be our kids auditorium. So this is where this will be. So this will be a secure, um, you know, there's all, obviously emergency exits, but there's one way in and out of this. Uh, we got restrooms available. So we feel like this really answers the problem for kids in Blairsville for us. And, um, and, and really it scales well from what we have here. So all these classrooms thematically are going to look very much like our classrooms here. So if you have been attending here and you take your kids to Blairsville, it's not going to be a foreign experience for them. It's going to feel very comfortable because it's similar to what they've experienced here. Uh, when you get into the auditorium, this is going to be a 200-seat auditorium and um, got um, sound, audiovisual back here. Um, stage will be at the front of the room here. We'll black out the windows. Um, it's going to feel similar to what you would have here. The room will be a little different because... Uh, if you've ever been on our youth auditorium, we've got an exposed ceiling, so we don't have a drop ceiling. It's exposed, but it's painted black, so it's blacked out. That's what we're going to have in this auditorium. We were hoping to keep this wall here between the buildings as uh, brick, exposed brick in the auditorium. But when we got the drywall off, we realized that we couldn't because the brick was in such bad shape. But there is a section of this wall that is exposed brick just to give us a nod back to the history of the, of the building. Um, we've actually found plans for this old bank uh, from the 60s and earlier that we're gonna take and frame and have some of those up in the lobby just again as a nod back to the history of the building. Um, we have the, uh, the vault is here. This is a 16 by 16 vault. It's got 18-inch poured concrete wall, steel reinforced, and it's got a door that's between 15 and 18,000 pounds. So this, this vault is not going anywhere. This will be here after humanity has long left planet Earth. We looked at tearing that out. It would have cost us more to tear that out than the building costs. So we're leaving the vault. We decided about it. We prayed. And uh, so we're leaving the vault uh, but, so in the room, you've got this main aisle here, and you've got the vault very visible, and we left it visible just because it's a cool feature. It's just, how many churches have a gigantic walk-in vault in their auditorium? So, we left that just because it's cool. There's also a basement, so these door, this door here goes down to a basement under this building, and it is large. It's a very big basement. I'll talk more about that in a minute. There's also a second floor here. So over here, you can go up the steps and go up to a second floor above the lobby, and uh, it's about 1,100 square feet where we could put offices or some smaller meeting spaces. We're not doing anything with that right now. So this building in total is about 9,200 square feet on this floor, which is plenty to do what we want to do initially. Let's go ahead and go to the next pictures. Let's look at where we're at right now. So this is the exterior shot of the building as it currently is. Actually, this is a few days old. So we've painted since then, painted trim and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you can see this is the bank building. This is where our main lobby will be. You come through these doors here. I also want to point out right down here, Market Street Pastries. Um, praise God, he could put us right next to Market Street Pastries. So just to give you a heads up, we're not going to have a cafe in our building in Blairsville. 
Uh, but I believe Rebecca and the folks over at Market Street are gonna be opening on Sundays for us. So what we're gonna do is just tell people, hey, if you want coffee or pastry, stop by our friends at Market Street. Bless them, help them out, and then bring it over. Remember that goes back to look for the welfare of your community, and right? So, hey, let's bless them. And, uh, and so they're interested in that. I think they're gonna open on Sundays for us. And uh, so come on in. So that's the front shot. Go ahead and go to the next one. Just another ele- front elevation. Go ahead and go to the next shot. This is the lobby. So this is what we described earlier. So if you walk in, you can see Info Center will be over here on your left. You can see restrooms there, here and here. You can see kids check-in is gonna be straight in front of you and then the auditorium will be to the right. This is the entrance for the basement if you go downstairs. And again, I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. Let's go to the next shot. This is looking through the first auditorium door. So as you come in the building and take a look to your right, this is looking into the auditorium. Stage will be on your right. You'd see chairs lined up there. And this will be a, a place you can come in or exit at the beginning of the uh, services. Let's go to the next shot. This is a shot of the uh, auditorium facing the back wall. So Market Street is behind us, facing back. You can see the vault here. Uh, so that's gonna be highly visible during the, sh- during the services, and we're cool with that. Uh, you can see the exposed ceiling here. That'll just be painted black. And, uh, and I don't know if you can see, you can kind of see this like travertine floor that's in there. We're actually gonna look at, at buffing that and just leaving the floor as intact as we can because it looks cool. And if we can get it cleaned up right, we're gonna, we're gonna leave part of it at least and that'll save us some money. Let's go to the next shot. This is a shot looking back toward the front. This is where the stage will be. And again, these windows will all be blacked out. Go ahead. This is looking back the uh, kids' hallway, so looking back to the kids' entrance, nursing mother's room there. And again, this is the uh, auditorium entrance here. Keep going. This is looking down the hallway to the kids' auditorium, so elementary class on the right, left and right, and then kids' auditorium straight ahead. And then this next shot is our kids' auditorium. And this is looking back down that hallway we just came out of. And the auditorium is back that way, the main auditorium. And, uh, and I don't remember, we will have a drop ceiling in here and it'll be finished. We'll be able to get, like I said, 30, 35, 40 kids in that room pretty comfortably. Next shot. This is the back parking lot. Um, be able to get a bunch of cars back here. We're trying to figure out what we want to do with this. Um, we feel like it's got a lot, of, a lot of value for the community down the road. Maybe we do a, maybe we do a pavilion there and just open it up. Maybe, I mean, we've got lots of possibilities. So we feel like that's a way we can bless our community too. Big parking lot. This gives us lots of flexibility, and I love all these homes all around. If we would have been up on 22 where we looked at, it would have cost us more money, and nobody is going to be able to walk to us. But here where we're at in the borough, we feel like a lot of people are going to be able to walk to where we are in, in that downtown area. So we're excited about this, and, um, and, and I know some of the questions that are probably popping up in your mind right now. When is this going to be ready? Originally, we had said the end of November. At this point, uh, because of some delays we had with permits and planning and some of that kind of stuff, it, we've pushed it back to the end of December. And just, just to be honest with you, if we still have limited gathering sizes, I'm not sure we're going to launch at the end of December because I want to launch as big and full as we possibly can. I don't want to launch and have to turn anybody away. Uh, and so we will see what we do. We've got some ideas on what we may do if we still have limited gathering sizes and what that might look like. Um, so we'll be talking to you more about that, but be praying for us in that way. Um, I, I want us to get open as quick as possible, as full as possible, reaching as many people as possible. So pray with us about that. Another question you probably got is the cost. Originally, we thought the reno cost on this was gonna be between two hundred fifty dollars and $300,000. Um, a number of factors have crept in to raise that price. The price is now between five dollars and $550,000, which again, if you're bad at math, that's significantly more. Um, and when I first saw the number, I was like, Phew. 
Whew, wow, that's, that's a lot. But let me help you with this. Um, one of the factors is um, the cost of materials has gone up so much in the last six months. It's crazy how much more expensive the materials are today than they were six months ago. And so that's part of it. Part of it's COVID and the hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing we could do about that. Part of it is uh, some of the just unforeseen expenses. Like we've got to re- replace all the all the, the air handlers and HVAC units. So, I mean, that's going to cost us around $50,000 to do that. And we weren't anticipating having to do, replace all that. So there's some things that have crept up like that that we just weren't anticipating um, that have caused the price to go up. Um, I told our, our leadership uh, as we were walking through this stuff, I said, um, now understand, I, I, you probably would assume this. I've never given birth to a child, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I've never given birth to a child, but from what I understand, it's pretty painful, okay? And, uh, and it costs some money. They don't do that for free. So it costs money and it's painful, but I've never, ever, ever met a woman who was holding their child in their arms after they gave birth and said, eh, it wasn't worth it, right? Every mom goes, yeah, it was painful, yeah, but it's worth it. Thank God for this child. And, and I, I told our leadership, I just said, I really believe that as painful and as costly as this is for us, the first person who gives their lives to Christ in one of our services, right? The first family who's on the brink of divorce but says, nope, God can rescue this marriage. The, the first child who says yes to Jesus in kids' church. The first teenager who finds Christ in some youth going to be worth it. We're not going to care. It's not going to make a bit of difference. Is it painful in the here and now? Sure. I would rather pay less money for it, but it's going to be worth it. Um, one of the things I mentioned earlier on that I want to clarify and make sure we understand is uh, my goal is that this will not be Summit Church forever. So it's going to be called Summit Blairsville in, in the immediate, but long term it is not. My goal is for that to be an independent church at some point. So we're planting a church for right now, it's us. It's our budget, our vision, our leadership, our name, all that stuff, our DNA. That's who we are. But, but down the road, it won't be. And I don't know when that'll be, five, six, eight years, I'm not sure. I just know that I wanna start with the end in mind. I wanna understand long-term, this won't always be Summit. And I've had some people say, isn't it, it silly for us to invest resources, for us to send people, for us to do all this stuff if it's not gonna be Summit? And I would, I've told them what I'll tell you now. I've got two daughters sitting here on the front row that I love dearly and passionately. I'm grateful for my girls. And there is very little that I love more in this world, okay? They don't contribute anything to our family financially, though. <laughs> Nothing. As a matter of fact, they drain money from us, right? I am bankrolling them, Okay? But it's okay, because I love them. And they've got my name, right? Their last name is Massingale. But someday that won't be the case. Someday they're probably both gonna be married and they will have another name. And at that point, the guy that they're married to is probably gonna say, we can't live off your parents anymore, hopefully. (laughs) So they won't be on my budget. But at that point, I won't go, nope, you're not my daughters anymore. Sorry, you're gonna be my daughters. They're still going to be in relationship. It's just going to look different than it does right now. And that's okay. So that church in Blairsville, we're still going to be in a relationship. They're still going to have our DNA. We're still going to be able to walk together. 
but they're just gonna be able to make decisions for themselves and do their own thing if that's what they choose to do. So understand, I don't want you to be nervous by the fact that we're gonna cut them loose at some point. We're gonna do it prayerfully, we're gonna do it with good strategy, but, but I, I don't want anybody to be surprised when we get to that point down the road that, that we're pulling the rug out from under you or anything like that. We're birthing a church, it's painful. We're gonna grow this church and mature this church and then we're gonna release this church to govern itself and lead itself and to make bigger impacts. Man, my prayer is that every single church we start is more successful than this church. Every church reaches more people and is bigger and has a bigger budget and does more for the kingdom of God than we do. And part of us might go, well, I don't like that. But how many of you want your kids to be less successful than you? Right? How many of you want your kids to live in a smaller house than you? How many of you want your kids to to do worse financially? None of us. So if we're birthing these churches, why wouldn't we want them to do well? Uh, (laughs) I shared this story in a little more detail back in October of last year. And if you want to hear more, you can uh, go back to the next series. Back in 2014, when I came to Summit, uh, we had conversations pretty quickly about starting some other churches. And uh, even during the interview process, I talked to the board. And they, what do you think? And what do you think about long term? And I knew, I'd done my homework. I knew Indiana. I knew the area pretty well. And I knew that this area would be great to start some other churches in. Because I'd come from a large multi-site church. I understood the strategy. I felt like, yeah, we could make this happen. I feel like this would be a God thing. So I told the board, and the board, um, they were probably a little uh, skeptical, maybe is the, probably the best way to put it. And they didn't say that explicitly to me, but they were like, huh, okay, we're gonna start some other churches in the area. All right. I was like, we'll see. You know, that's fine. You, you can dream that if you want to. Uh, it was, that was kind of the thought, like, yeah, we'll see. And uh, so 2014, I started saying, man, man, guys, maybe we need to think about this because we've got some growth issues. And instead of going to build a gigantic building that's gonna cost us a fortune, maybe we need to look at. And so 2015 rolls around and we roll it out. And here's what we're gonna do. And we built this building for the kids and youth and it cost us $4 million. It cost more than I expected. And it was more stress than I expected. And it was stressful. Because our, our monthly payments went from $8,000 a month to $25,000 a month, which we could absorb, but we didn't have as much margin as I anticipated at that point. So I was feeling the pressure. I was feeling some stress. And the last thing I wanted to do in myself was go start another church. So I took my foot off the gas. I stopped talking about another location and just kind of put everything on the back burner. And that's how things stayed. And then in February of 2019, I was just praying, just reading my Bible. And I, um, I mean, the Holy Spirit confronted me on this issue, called me out. And uh, I didn't feel condemned at all, but I felt deep conviction that I was not doing what I felt like God had told me to do. That I was, <laughs> I was preaching a message that was contrary to what I was living out. I tell you every week, God speaks to you. Go do what God tells you to do. But yet in this moment, I wasn't doing what God told me to do. And so I went to our board and just said, here's what I'm feeling. And I don't like leaders who say, God told me. Because when when leader says, God told me, how do you argue with that, right? 
God told me we should go start another church. And if somebody goes, I don't know, you're going to argue with God? Like, you can't do that. So I just said, here's what I feel like God has spoken to me. I would love for you guys to pray about this. Tell me what you think. So over the, over the next couple months, we talked about it, and we just came to the point that we all felt resolved that God was speaking to us to go start a location in Blairsville. And at that point, we didn't have the money to do it. We didn't know what we were going to do, how the funds were going to come in. We just said, okay, God, if you're telling us to do this, we're going to trust you. And we started looking. We started looking at locations. In October, I rolled this out to the church, and I was still looking for locations all over Blairsville. There are not that many locations in Blairsville, by the way. And I was looking at buildings, abandoned buildings, empty buildings, vacant buildings, buildings that still had people in them, but, you know, whatever it was, I was looking at everything. Nothing, nothing that was right for us or suitable. I finally found this building, the G.L. Roth building. If you live in Blairsville, you've been through there, you may have, maybe have seen it. It's right next to the high school football field. So this building, we went and looked at it. It was vacant for three years. They hadn't had an offer on it. They kept dropping the price. So we went and looked at this building, me and the board, and we walked through the building. I was like, guys, this might be the one. Like, I think it might be the one. It's like, yeah, all right. Woo, all right, let's make an offer on it. Yeah, you know what? We could get this building cheap. It hasn't been no offer on it and no interest in it, and they're asking 190 for it. I bet we can get it, you know, maybe 120. It's like, yeah, all right. So, like, all right, let's just pray about it. We're not in a rush. Next day, my realtor calls and says, you're not gonna believe this? Somebody else looked at that building today. They're gonna put it in an offer. Like, come on. All right, that's fine. So I called their board. And what do you guys want to do? And we decided to make an offer. And they gave me the ability to make a full cash offer if that's what I felt like we wanted to do, $190,000 cash. So I did. We still didn't get the building. That was the beginning of December. I was so frustrated. Um, I wasn't depressed, but I just felt like, what are we supposed to do? Because we had a couple buildings on the back burner, but they weren't the right buildings. So I came to the church, and I told you guys from stage, I said, guys, man, here's what we did, and we didn't get the building, but don't worry, because God's in control, and God's got this, God, woo! And I was lying to you. <laughs> I was neither sure that God had this, or that God was in control. I was like, God, do you know what you're doing here? Did you forget about us? Because we got these raggedy buildings we're looking at now, and neither, none of them are any good. <laughs> right after that, my dad passed away. And at that point, I had zero concern about what was going to happen in Blairsville. And so when I finally came back from my time off, um, I, uh, we re-engaged, and I, I said, well, let's go look at this building in Blairsville, this Cavalancia building. And I mean, I don't think it's what we need, but let's give him a low offer and just see. Because I thought, he'll be so offended by our offer He'll walk away, and that'll be that. Like, psh, we're done with that. He didn't even blink at our offer. We, we offered him a little less than what we actually paid, but we ended up paying $50,000 for that building, the brick building in Blairsville. It's like, all right, praise God. 50000 is great. We wrote a check for it. We were standing outside the building. Uh, a couple weeks later, Craig Enfield, our facility director, and I, we were looking at the building, and we were talking, and I said, Craig, what do you think about the bank? He said, man, it would be great if we had it. Like, you think we could get it? I'm like, I don't know. And he said, it'd be awesome. Why don't we try? And I'm like, all right, I'll give him a call. I called the realtor. The realtor said, we're asking $275,000 for the building. I'm like, that's a little out of our price range. And he said, well, we'll entertain any offer. <laughs> well, well, well. 
So I talked to the board about it. I said, guys, I think we can get this building for $100,000. And we got the cash. We can write a check for $100,000 for this building. What do you think? They're like, yep, let's explore it. So I reached out to uh, Jonathan Mack. He's an attorney. Uh, he's part of our church. He's a board member for years here at Summit and uh, still advises us on a ton of stuff. And so I reached out to John and said, John, sick him. Like, <laughs> go get him, buddy. Like, smell the meat, smell the meat. Go, go. I let him off the leash. Like, <laughs> I told him, I said, we'll pay 100000 for this building. Okay, no problem. He calls them, he calls me back and says, Mel, I would like to offer them $25,000 for the building. I said, you can't do that. I want to put the leash back on, like, right? Maybe you don't understand, we need that building. He's like, no, 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 we can get it. it you know, we might not pay 25 for it, but we're going to get it. We're not going to have to pay 100. I was like, you don't understand, we will pay 100. Do you trust me? Uh... Yes, I think we do. Yeah, okay. And he said, okay. So to make a long story short, uh, the building that they were asking $275,000 for, we paid $50,000 for it as well. And not only did we get the building, we got the parking lot behind it, which by itself is worth more than $50,000. We got all that. Two buildings, parking lot, $100,000. Total God thing, crazy. It just fell in our lap. <laughs> this was a confirmation for us. This was a confirmation for us that, that God was in this because during the, one of the worst and weirdest economic seasons that our, that our nation's ever known, we paid cash for two buildings in Blairsville, well below market value, by the way, and we were able to get these. Um, so we were walking through uh, the buildings, and I'm telling our staff about them after we have acquired these, and we're standing in the lobby of the bank building, and literally, you've got the teller station still up. You've got uh, the, the, like the island in the middle of the lobby where people would stand and make out their checks and stuff. And, and so we're standing there with me and all the staff and um, I'm telling them this story of how we got this building and it's so cool. And I said, um, I said, guys, can you believe that the people we bought this from, they were asking 275, we paid 50. And I said, can you believe they paid $650,000 for this building in 2014? I was thinking, man, what a deal. And one of our staff spoke up and they said, when did you say you had the vision? When did you say you had the vision for multi-site, for, for putting a location somewhere else? 2014. Wow. That's kind of cool. What if God's timing is better than our timing? What if God is working in ways that we don't see or know? What if in 2014, when I went to the board and said, well, maybe we need to think about multi-site, God says, that's right, you do. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get this, this multinational corporation to buy this building in Blairsville, Pennsylvania for $650,000, and they're gonna sit on it, and they're gonna write off the loss and sell it to you for $50,000 in 2020 because I know that this is the exact place you need to be when you start a church there. What if that's what God did? What if his timing is better? Then I say, God, I only want to be in captivity two years. He goes, nope, it's going to be 70, but it's going to be good if you'll just trust me in the 70. That's what we see. That's what God's doing. That's how God's bringing all this together. That's why I'm convinced that God is going to do something incredible in Blairsville. So, 
So what does that mean for you guys? Well, let's go back to Jeremiah 29, 7. It says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. What do we do? The first thing is pray. Pray to the Lord for the welfare of the city where we're being sent. This doesn't mean pray for our church to be successful. That's fine if you pray that. But how about this? How about if we pray for Blairsville? God, bless the businesses in Blairsville. God, send residents to Blairsville. God, I pray that you give creative ideas and wisdom to the borough leadership in Blairsville. God, I pray you bless the police officers in Blairsville. God, bless the residents of Blairsville to have a positive idea and mindset that they can move forward, that they can advance, they can multiply. Let's pray for Blairsville. Let's pray for the churches of Blairsville. God, send revival to the churches of Blairsville. Not just our church, but the church. Let's see God work in an amazing way. Let's see lost people showing up to churches all over Blairsville. First thing is pray. Second thing is give. Give. We're where we're at today because of your faithfulness. So thank you for your giving. Um, originally, we were going to be able to do this with no debt at the end of it. Unfortunately, it looks like we're gonna have to incur a little bit of debt and we will have some when this com the construction is complete in December. So, so what we're asking you to do is a couple of practical things. Number one, many of you give with credit or debit card online. Thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity. I'm not asking you to change that. What I'm asking you to do is change how you give online. If you're already giving by credit card or debit card, consider switching that to your checking account. And the reason is this. Right now, as the year to date, we've paid $13,500 in fees on credit card and debit card transactions. That's okay. It's worth it for us to pay the fees. But if you're willing to change from that to your checking account, and there's still a fee with a checking account, but it's one quarter. It's 25 cents per transaction on your checking account. Even if it's a $10,000 check, it's 25 cents instead of a percentage. So. So if the people who paid with a credit or debit card would have instead paid with their checking account, we would have this much more money that right now just from people switching from, from debit and credit to their checking account. Does that make sense? So literally we've paid, this was the difference in what we would pay and what we have paid. We'd have $12,500 more in our account right now to be able to do more stuff if people would just switch how they give. Um, and so again, if, if you're giving and you're getting points and whatever it is with your credit card and you don't wanna switch, okay, that's fine. But if it's not a big deal, if it's all the same to you, make the switch for us. That little bit makes a difference. Every single week I see what our fees are and it makes a difference. Another thing you can do is think about switching to recurring gifts. Um, if you switch to recurring gifts, uh, that helps us plan for the future. So we have a number of people that they just set it up. Every month, this much is coming out. Uh, every week, this much is coming out. Every pay period, whatever it is, they set it up to be recurring so they don't ever have to think about it. It's just automated for them. So for us, I can look at um, what the scheduled income is for four weeks from now. And I know, if, even if we didn't have church, even if we don't have anybody in person, this is how much is going to come in in four weeks. So it helps us plan better for down the road. So think about switching to a recurring gift as well. That will help. Um, the last thing I would tell you is... Um, if you're not giving, just start giving. Give something. Just trust God. See what he'll do in your finances when you trust him in that way. Whatever it is, take that step and begin. Uh, if we could, my goal is for us as a church to bring in 150,000 for Blairsville between now and the end of the year. 
And it sounds like a lot of money. Usually in the month of December, we'll bring in 50, 75, 80 pretty easily just from our year in giving that we ask you to do. And so we feel like 150 over three months should not be a huge stretch for us. But what we're asking you to do is just pray. Say, God, what would you have me do? Well, what kind of investment should I be making toward Blairsville, toward this location, toward changed lives? Uh, and do whatever God asks you to do. Maybe it's a one-time gift. Maybe it's a monthly gift. Maybe it's a weekly gift. Whatever it is, just do it. Just be honest with God. Just be faithful what he asks you to do and do it. Because if we can raise 150,000, we're gonna have very little debt when we finish this. And if we have very little debt, it's gonna allow us to eradicate that quickly. I mentioned the basement to you earlier. And the reason I did is because that basement is gonna be a ministry center for us. My goal is for us to get our debt paid off so that we can renovate the basement, so we can start some after-school programs, so that we can start some mentoring, so that we can start a food pantry, so we can do some things that's going to take care of the welfare of that community. But we can't do that if we've got debt hanging over our head for it. So, so it's not just about we wanna get it paid off, it's about, man, there are pressing issues we wanna resolve, but we can't do that if we have this debt. So help us get this paid down. Help us do this right so that we can bless that community and help the community. The third thing is this, go. Pray about being part of our launch team in Blairsville. Even if you don't live in Blairsville, maybe God's laying it on your heart to go help us start this. Uh, be part of the launch team and help us see it get going. Be committed to that location. Invite your friends, serve, be a part. And if you'll give us a one-year commitment there at the end of that year, if you wanna come back here, come back here. We're not gonna run you off, we want you. But, but I feel like what's gonna happen is you're gonna go and you're not gonna come back because you're gonna see your friends get saved. You're gonna see family members come to Jesus at that location. You're gonna experience God in a new way and you're never gonna come back to this location. That's okay, because we're still family. We're still in this together. So pray about it. Pray about going, pray about giving. Just pray that God will move. Let's see what God will do. At the end of the day, whether you're part of going to Blairsville or giving to Blairsville, whatever it is, I would encourage you, seek the welfare of your city. Look out for others and not just yourself and let's see what God will do. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for being so good to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to serve Blairsville, to go bless Blairsville. And God, we know you're not through in Indiana yet. So God, we're gonna continue to be faithful here. But God, as we go, Lord, bless it, move in it. God, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts today a desire to give, a desire to serve, a desire to be a part, an excitement and enthusiasm for, for changed lives, lives made different. And Lord, I pray that you would minister in Blairsville, not just at Summit, but in every church. Bless that community. I pray that you would infuse life and vibrancy in that community. Use us to do it, but God, do the work. Lord, I pray for those that are here that don't know you. Let today be the day they surrender it all. Make you Lord of their lives. Have your way with us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God, but I know I need to be. I wanna, I wanna make that decision today to trust him, trust his timing, trust his lordship in my life. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. Would you be bold enough to slip your hand up and say, Mel, I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna trust him as Lord. If that's you, would you acknowledge that today and just let me pray with you? You can slip your hand up real high where I can see it. How many of you would say, Mel, um, I need to do a better job of seeking the welfare of my city and not just my own welfare. And I want the Holy Spirit to help me do that, to begin to look for opportunities to bless the people around me. If that's you, would you be uh, 
willing to raise your hand real high where I can pray for you. Yeah, a lot of you. Lord, thank you that you are so good that you've given so much for us. God, I pray that you would stir up a desire in us to serve and bless those that we come into contact with. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just be about blessing us or our church, but God, I pray that you would bless our community, bless our city. I pray that you would use us to bring health and wellness and welfare to our communities, to bring wholeness and completion and shalom to our communities. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be so self-centered and self-focused that we miss the needs around us. So God, I pray that we would not just pray for solutions, but that we would be the solutions. So God, have your way among us. Be glorified through us. And I pray that we would usher in welfare to every city we reside in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day.